Hey, if you're listening to this episode sometime after February 4th, 2020, as that's when I'm recording this right now, I'd be very curious to know what you think about this episode that was predicting what would happen in 2019. And if you have an idea for a podcast, a subject, a guest, you want to come on and talk to me, hit the messages for the podcast or find me online at Phil Circle on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Pinterest, and at Phil Circle Music on Instagram. Or go to philcirclemusic.com. Any of these places, I always respond to messages. And I would be happy to hear what you thought of this episode and to uh, hear your ideas for new episodes yet to come. Hey, thanks a lot for listening. I sure appreciate it. Peace. Welcome to Life, Music, and the Pursuit of Answers. I'm Phil Circle. It's just me today. You're my personal guest. Um, I have some other episodes in the making. Uh, there is one coming up with a, another guest, and I will be doing one with uh, a number of my students. So that should be fun. Anyway, uh, I'm thinking about more ways to uh, explain what this podcast is about. I got to thinking about the thing I did at uh, the beginning of the year. Okay. So LinkedIn uh, sent me an email that I, I'm sure a thousand LinkedIn users also received uh, complimenting me on my online involvement and asking me to make some predictions for 2019. Um, so I did, and I called the article, What Am I, Nostradamus? So that is the title of this episode, What Am I, Nostradamus? Uh, yeah, life, music, and the pursuit of answers. As I think I've expressed before, I don't have the answers. I'm trying to get people to help find some. It's all about finding positive answers. Uh, rather than lamenting life, let's celebrate. All right? Rather than pissing and moaning about what's wrong in the world, how about we talk about some things where we can find common ground and move things forward? One reason that I involve music in this, as I'm sure I've mentioned previously, is that music is one of the most uh, unifying things on the planet. Um, so, uh, and artists in general are not just oh, I just want to play music, or I just want to act, or I just want to write or paint or whatever, or sculpt, whatever it is, their art. Uh, a lot of artists are people who are very rounded and have, have multiple interests, and it's that fascination with the human condition that makes them want to talk about stuff. So I'm going to go through these things, these predictions I made. So I posted this, on, uh, I published it on New Year's Eve in 2018. What am I, Nostradamus? Uh, hashtag Big Ideas 2019 by Phil Circle on LinkedIn is where you'll find it. You'll find me on there, uh, of course. Uh, you just look up my name anywhere, and there I am. Okay, so one of the things I put here, okay, so I went through and I bullet pointed a lot, all right? First one I put is I predict I'll be wrong in a couple areas, uh, you know, because, yeah, we're likely to be. But one of the fascinating things about... Uh, uh, looking at what's happening in the world and predicting what, what might be to come is it requires a knowledge of history. And I'm fascinated by history. 
So, uh, you know, they say, well, you know, history repeats itself, but in the words of George Bernard Shaw, uh, history doesn't repeat itself, man does. Well, we'll update that, humans do, okay? So that was first my first prediction on there. I predict they'll be wrong in a couple areas. So here come the other predictions and things I made, but these also are to give you an idea of the sort of things that I'd like to talk about and the sort of things that, that uh, I, I see going on in the world and that I, I'm reading about a lot of other people talking about, uh, hearing a lot of other people talk about them, etc. Um, <clears throat> one is a preoccupation with productivity uh, will not be productive, is, is one that I said, okay? Um, give you a, 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 an example, all right? So, um, design something quality, fix something right, and that's more productive, even if it takes a little bit more time, than just getting it done and getting it out there. And what I've been watching in a whole lot of the the uh, world outside of the arts, well, the arts, of course, does this too. There's a whole lot of mass production in the way of uh, creative stuff. Hell, I've got hanging on my wall a uh, an inspirational framed piece that I bought at Target. You know, so we, we do it everywhere. There's a lot of mass-produced music, of course. Uh, we could go into that. That's, uh, you know, something for the uh, my musical guests, of which I've already had a couple. Um, so... Uh, when we focus too hard on winning or on the end goal, we actually distract ourselves from the, the immediate work at hand. Uh, we obsess ourselves into stress and we stop enjoying what we're doing. And when we're not enjoying what we're doing, we're apt to cut corners and not do very good work. Um, I love my work, for instance, and there's certainly plenty of it, though, that involves less than joyful tasks. But by focusing on meticulously doing it and taking the necessary time to do it right, I'm much more likely to see it through effectively. So with this balanced focus, I'm not even thinking about winning or how much time it's taking or how many items I've completed. This is called peak flow or being in the zone. It's something I've talked to a lot of uh, students about, for instance, over the years, finding that peak flow. There's a whole book on it by a guy named Dr. Chixam and Haley. Uh, don't ask me to spell the name. <laughs> it's long, and there's a CH at the beginning. Um, but peak flow, it's, a, again, what else people also call, call being in the zone. It's a perfect balance between uh, tension and relaxation. Um, my wife and I, this is an example I gave in the article to my wife and I bought a coffee maker. I won't tell you the name, but what it makes is in the, in the, in the brand. <laughs> so I just told you, um, the thing broke down shortly after we got it. And the, it, uh, I called the company and they didn't seem at all surprised. And they sent me the replacement part free of charge. That's all fine and dandy, but about a year into it, uh, the thing was leaking all over the countertop. Uh, so, I don't know. I remember the coffee maker we had before that, and my wife had it when we started dating. And that wasn't like a year ago. That was a little bit longer. Um, so, um, I, I pay much greater attention now to, to reviews as a result of that sort of thing. So the next one that I bought, for instance, I went and I looked at the reviews at length. Um, and 
we have now basically the ability to examine uh, with total transparency everything that we buy. So mass producing things just blindly and not worrying about the quality of items uh, is not going to get by as quickly because I have gone and looked for stuff that I bought. Like, for instance, I'm sitting here in my, my studio in Chicago, my, my teaching space where I work from, et cetera. Um, I, I looked at reviews for absolutely everything that I bought, to even just to furnish it. I didn't, you know, I wasn't looking for high-end items, but I wanted stuff that wasn't going to fall apart. So when I saw something, you know, that was priced right, but had like a three-star rating, and I went and read the reviews, and they were, you know, this is utter garbage, don't waste your time, I didn't buy it. Whereas I might have gotten them before because it was cheaper. And, of course, I can give you all the old manisms, too. I remember the Fisher stereo that my parents had that my dad bought with his first wife in the 1950s. She passed away the year I was born. He married my mom. I inherited the thing when I was about 18. I mean, do the math. you know. And just so you know, I was born in 66. All right. Uh, we're coming back around, I think, to a point where uh, the productivity is going to mean uh, – producing quality okay so that, that was one of the things anyway um and and that kind of lends itself to the next thing that i that i talked about in this article purpose-driven businesses will surge is, is exactly what i wrote on here okay um now I, I put i'm guessing it's going to take more than the next year for that to be the case but you do hear a whole lot when you when you if you want to become an entrepreneur and you go and you check out grab audiobooks or read books about how to become one. I have a book here that's really good, by the way, Tribe of Mentors by Timothy Ferris. He came up with the four hour work week, which I haven't read, and I don't even know what that means because four hours is like the least I work on any given day. But then again, it doesn't feel like work, so maybe that's kind of where he's getting. I don't know. So tell me, you know, send me a message if you know if you can encapsulate what that book was about. But Tribe of Mentors is really good. There's couple hundred people in there from all walks of, of life and work and the arts and et cetera, uh, answering just like about a dozen questions. And there's a whole lot of stuff in there about how their lives changed when they found purpose in their work. And you can also see that in people that are immensely successful, uh, like the, the, the big names who are big names because they're, you know, gazillionaires and stuff. They, there's a purpose behind it. Um, Bill Gates, for instance, didn't say, I want to make billions of dollars. He said, I want to change the world with technology. Um, and when humans have a growing need to find purpose in their lives, as this world becomes incredibly overwhelming and, and hyper full of information, people begin to look to the things that matter the most in their lives, their purpose. What am I doing here? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? Why, you know, it's, and it seems almost childish to, to some people. I realize, well, you know, searching for yourself. Okay. Whatever, get that over with in college and then get on with your life. But no science is looking at human consciousness. Uh, uh, what is happiness and things like this to begin to understand why, uh, you know, we're going the direction we are and what we're going to do with it. Huge issues are at hand. Um, I, I've read in a couple, and this isn't fringe stuff. I read mainstream science and anthropology and sociology and stuff, uh, talking about th these tremendous challenges we are facing in our world today um, that are causing us to look at what really does matter because that's going to be what hinges on or what our decisions hinge on. In other words, it won't be, oh, just profit-driven anymore. 
I give you a really good example. In the 1980s, when I first became an entrepreneur, both as a musician uh, on my own and as a means to make a living, I had a wholesale business when I, when I was 18 while I was managing a 7-Eleven. And, you know, so I was doing all the entrepreneurial stuff, reading up on it, learning about how do I do this? You know, how do I make this work? There was a whole lot of talk flying around at the time that to be a good entrepreneur, what you needed was uh, BS and expertise. Okay, so you you had to have a good you had to, you had to have a good talk, and then you, you did have to deliver. But basically, if you could just get people in the door and then and then deliver, you're good to go. So you BS or BS your way into their business or BS them into yours or whatever the case. Now it's taken a 180 degree turn with that. So the big talkers in, in the entrepreneurial world and uh, guys like Gary Vaynerchuk with Crushing It and uh, other folks uh, who are just as almost obnoxious in their push to succeed, you know, the whole the old Tony Robbins thing. Um, you know, uh, now that even these people who are just very like, oh, we'll work 16 hours a day and, you know, make a gazillion dollars and everything, even they are saying, but have a purpose or you're wasting your time. If you don't have a purpose behind what you're doing, you are wasting your time. And you do need to be authentic. So now from it went from 35, 30 years ago, it, uh, BS and expertise, to now it's authentic, authenticity and expertise. So in order to be authentic, you do have to have a sense of who you, who you are. You do have to have a purpose behind what you're doing. I also remember, I'll sleep when I die. It was something else that was really big in the 80s when I was a youth. And uh, I'll sleep when I die. And I lived by that, and I hospitalized myself as a result, literally. Um, at one, one point, I had respiratory failure, and they came to give me last rites. And I obviously you know, didn't need them. I'm still here. But it was a direct result of me completely exhausting myself, working three jobs, pushing my, my you know, self to become a better musician, sleeping literally three, four hours a night, at best, and uh, you never taking days off. I think I went nine months or something without a day off um, and buried myself. I did not eat well. I've seen pictures of myself, and I, I carried that on up into college, which I, I didn't do until I was in my 20s. Uh, so up until about 20 years ago, I was still pushing that hard. And I, I've seen pictures of myself then, and I look like, emaciated man like like on death's door you know raccoon eyes and you know just completely like you know scrawny and not very healthy looking i, I think I look 10 years older than i than i was probably well now again partly as a result of people experience other people experiencing that over the years you're getting these people who who, who for instance did push themselves relentlessly uh and then you know, just buried themselves as nearly buried themselves as a result. And you get people now who are just, you know, who are younger, who are being sensible, who maybe have watched that go on. Or maybe somebody watched their parents like work to death, work themselves to death. And you, know, you turn around at my age in your early 50s and you go, what have I just done? I haven't spent any time doing anything that matters or whatever. Well, the next thing that I put in here is that sleep well, eat well, be well and good. Okay. Is, is going to be an important thing. All right. Um, being good to our bodies, minds, and spirits will become more of a norm uh, as uh, this this trend, so to speak, continues to show uh, the increase in overall morale, 
at the workplace or in our businesses and our own day-to-day lives, uh, that we have uh, having a sense of well-being and back to productivity. We're going to be more productive. It has been shown in studies that when people are sleep-deprived, they are less effective. Driving sleep-deprived is, is considered the equivalent of driving drunk. Um, I've done both. I don't do either anymore. <laughs> All right. So, and the, what's the happy uh, side effect of people uh, being more productive and having a sense of well-being and a better morale? They're also less likely to be jerks to people. Right? They don't feel crappy all the time. They, they don't feel bad about themselves or situations that come up. They're more likely to be able to handle stress without lashing out, which leads me to the next prediction I had that, uh, that I posted on this article, What Am I Nostradamus, on New Year's Eve 2018. Uh, the jerks will continue to get in trouble. <laughs> If someone is an abusive or misogynistic individual, they're going to continue to get in trouble for it. Um, I guess I'm a fairly progressive guy uh, from the, 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 the socio-political spectrum. Um, but generally, I've just always been somebody who doesn't understand why you want to be an a-hole. Um, not that I haven't been one. I'm certainly guilty of it. Um, not that I, I haven't expressed uh, arrogance or or bigotry or sexism at some point in my life, there's no question, all right? But I never felt good in the aftermath of, of, of behavior that just was not creating value for myself or other people. And maybe it's a result of being a, a creative individual that I'm constantly looking for ways to improve. Maybe it's uh, just in my nature. I, I have no idea, really, um, the combination of the two. But I continue to try and learn from these experiences to move it forward. I, I have a hard time understanding people who don't. Uh, at the same time, I do understand that everybody in their own space, no matter who they are, no matter what it is they are doing, is likely absolutely convinced they are right. And I can't argue that with them. I can't say you're wrong because you do this. But I do see an overall trend in the world. There's a big wave of change coming. And uh, people are either going to surf that wave or get consumed by it. Uh, The intrinsic motivation of human beings is to help each other and to solve problems. And the very nature of a problem, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's in the math the very nature of a, of a problem is that if you see a problem, there is a solvent to it. And there's a good chance that solvent doesn't mean you have to be, you know, cruel to other people. I don't think most people who do cruel things actually want to be doing so. I do understand people suffer. There's a lot of it going on in the world. And when people suffer, uh, they either look for a way out of that suffering or they drag other people into their suffering. And most of the time, I don't think they drag people in intentionally. Uh, so I get all that. Um, I'm not you know, lacking in empathy or compassion. I do think that it's going to be less and less okay or less and less acceptable for people to just be, to, to be like what bigoted or however, whatever words you prefer to use. Um, you know, I don't want to stigmatize human behavior when it's based on suffering because that's what it's based on. Um, but I think that we will 
as a result of these movements forward, you know, we're pulling the rubber band pretty, pretty far and pretty tight. And when anytime we've done that culturally, socially, et cetera, we've tended to let it kind of pull back to the middle after, after some extreme, you know, reaction to it. Um, it's like stubbing your toe. You swear big time right after you stub your toe, but the pain goes away, you know, gradually. That's like me. I broke my toe. That was a little rough. You can't do anything for it. You break your toe, you break your toe. You can't you know, you go to the hospital and be like, well, you broke your toe. Have a nice day. So I don't know. That has nothing to do with what I was talking about. But anyway. Um, let's see. Meditation will gain more ground. I think meditation will become more important to people. Um, so uh, by meditation, um, well, I, I don't mean, uh, um, you know, this uh, it's an Eastern philosophical thing and weird or, or different or like Om or whatever. Uh, I'm Buddhist. We have a, a chant that we do and that's meditative. Meditation comes in all forms. And many, most any religion has some, some form of meditation. What, what we're really talking about is something where you, uh, you find a place uh, where you can work on your mindset to contend with, well, your mind, hmm, your mindset for the day. Uh, they say empty your mind, for instance. That's kind of a, 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 a not exactly the best uh, uh, explanation because it assumes your mind can be empty. The mind is incredibly active. There's all kinds of information flying through it all the time. All the time. So a better description that I heard anyway was that you you let all the thoughts pass through your mind and uh, and and then and and just let them be. You know, uh, and then there's all sorts of techniques to it. But I've run into more and more interviews, biographies, and the like in the last year where people in the highest levels of performance in their fields have mentioned how some form of meditation has improved their life. Some sunk into it a long time ago, some more recently. All right. But mindset work has been in our mainstream for for 50 plus years. Man, let's see. Uh, Think and Grow Rich is a mindset book. It's not about wealth, although you can make it about that. It's about having a rich life, really. There's a whole, and about succeeding in general. Uh, That was like 1937. So do the math. We've had that kind of stuff going on for that long. Um, And and that's, uh, you know, so this is not something new, but I think that, again, because of the overwhelming amount of change happening in the world, um, the overwhelming amount of connection that we have to each other that, that, you know, this thing I use to, to contact people uh, in, in the form of a phone call is also connecting me to the entire world in the palm of my hand, literally. Uh, that Again, the overwhelming nature of all of that, I think, is starting to demand that we turn the thing off and that we find space for ourselves and within ourselves. So meditation will gain more ground. Um I live in a neighborhood in Chicago called Rogers Park. I'll give you a little history about Rogers Park. A guy named Phil Rogers, uh, Irish immigrant, uh, came to Chicago in, I believe, the 1840s. A lot of Irish came over to the U.S. in 
1845 to 1850 during the Great Hunger when millions of Irish either died or emigrated during the Great Famine, the Great Hunger, they called it. Anyway, I don't know if Phil Rogers was a result of that or he was just, you know, aspiring to something in the new world, so to speak. So uh, not new to Native Americans, of course. They, it was new to them 15,000 years ago. Uh, and aside. So Phil Rogers came here. He bought this big tract of land uh, on the far north side of Chicago between between the city of Chicago and a smaller city called Evanston, uh, home of Northwestern University. And it's sort of sad they're not widely used, uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, wood, wooded and swampy both, depending on what part of the tract of land you were on. There's a street called Ridge in Rogers Park. It's from Ridge East is where it was swampy. From Ridge West is where it was woodsy. And uh, then off to the prairie, which is, you know, Illinois, the prairie state, because that's like most of what it was. So Phil Rogers had that land. He then had a son-in-law named Tui, which is the name of one of the big streets here. And uh, then the city of Chicago took the elevated trains and moved and, and extended them up into Evanston and Wilmette, the adjacent north suburbs, uh, in about 1908. And that is when Rogers Park became a land development area. And here we are. Rogers Park is, along with Brooklyn, New York, the most diverse neighborhood in America. One of the two, therefore. Uh, there are other neighborhoods that are right there with Rogers Park in Brooklyn, uh, a couple of them in Chicago. Lakeview is one of them, and Hyde Park is another. That's uh, where University of Chicago is in Hyde Park. Uh, for those of you who aren't from here, I'm giving you the lowdown there. Uh, so uh, by diversity, we don't just mean ethnically, although that's a big part of it. There are like something like 50 languages spoken in the schools in Rogers Park. Now, the neighborhood is one of 77 Chicago neighborhoods. There are about 38,000 people in Rogers Park. So that's the size of many small, smaller cities or big towns, however you'd like to approach it. Um, but there's also not only ethnic diversity, there is a middle class. So there is economic diversity. Uh, there are college students and, you know, and younger, and then there are retirees so there, and, and everybody in between. So there's also age diversity. Anthropologists, here goes Phil again with anthropology. Uh, anthropologists say that Rogers Park is uh, a good example of what the world may be one day. Now, all that being said, I guess you understand why I'm in Rogers Park, and then here's why I would bring that up. I think diversity is going to be more and more of a given. Uh, so uh, what I wrote in my article was studies flying in the face of old white men, I'm an old white man, who want to seriously hold on to their power, which is human nature. Diversity is being shown to be more productive and profitable. Um, to me, it's always been painfully obvious. Diverse ideas, culturally and otherwise, contribute to an extension to the existing ways of doing things, thereby offering new and possibly more effective tools. Uh, as a musician, if life imitates art and vice versa, uh, that, that kind of might explain why I'm, I'm, I feel this way. It just makes sense to me. Uh, I look at American music, and it is a, a hybrid of many different you know, ethnic backgrounds, many different cultural backgrounds. Okay. Um, 
we're going to have to trust each other a whole lot more. Uh, xenophobia has no place in this modern shrinking world. Every major obstacle or advancement is becoming a global issue. Now we're on to a big reason why I have this podcast. I want people to join this dialogue. We have these global issues that we have to talk about. If we are uncomfortable talking about them, read about them. Keep it to yourself. Sit and meditate on it. That is, meditate with a pen and a piece of paper. You know, write journal about it on your computer and you know, too, whatever. Uh, or sit and talk to yourself on a recording device and then play it back with your earbuds on and listen to what you're talking about and see where you can go with it. This to me has been, a, for me, for me, has been a huge form of meditation all my life. Constantly taking ideas and and turning them about and and, and turning them upside down and inside out and let, and then letting them germinate for a while. It's from that sort of work, in fact, that I come up with a lot of my articles, including the one that I'm referring to in this podcast. Um, I'm going to give you one more, and then I'm going to take a, a short break. Uh, and I want to remind you that sponsorship is always uh, welcome with this podcast. Um, and uh, on the break, uh, there will likely be a 30-second thing about that. Okay. So here's the last bit before the break. Um, and I put the breaks in so you can fast forward if you get bored. Or so if you stop in the middle, you can come back. Uh, to where you were easily enough without having to scan through the whole episode. So um, anyway, I think green will be the norm, all right? Before it becomes a lawful necessity, which people don't like, um, I think people are going to start adopting more green policies. In fact, they do. Salesforce, for instance, is a huge corporation. They're about to build a new tower in Chicago. They train their employees uh, on recycling. Now, this is not some partisan issue. i give you a, a nice example again of my own because obviously I like doing that. Um, my parents were conservative people and uh, but for them conservative meant conserve. My dad was an economist at the University of Chicago. He studied under Milton Friedman which is what trickle-down economics came from. Uh, he had views on that. My, my, my dad did Bob Circle was his name. Um, so, but we recycled, we drove across a couple suburbs to get to a bunch of dumpsters where they would take non-returnable bottles, which, cause we used to have returnable bottles, uh, where you'd get a you know, dime back or something to return the bottles. They'd wash them out, reuse them, recap them, that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, we, we go to, there'd be these dumpsters, uh, one for brown glass, one for green glass, one for clear glass. There'd be a dumpster full of uh, newspaper all this stuff being recycled. You know, recycling is a profitable industry. All right, I'm back. So I was talking about how recycling is a profitable industry. I have a friend uh, who actually recorded several of my albums, and he would spend his winters in St. Thomas in the uh, U.S. Virgin Islands, and he noticed they didn't have a recycling program. And so he went about setting one up. Um, I don't know if it was because he was green-minded or if he saw the profit motive but I know that he did see a profit. He ended up coming back to Chicago before realizing the full extent of that profit, but the numbers were pretty high, what he was expecting to see in the following year or two. So there, there are plenty of good reasons for doing it just from the standpoint of job creation and, and income and that sort of stuff. Um, 
And then we look at the health issues um, of looking after the use of our resources and how we create those resources. The water in Chicago, the drinking water in Chicago is cleaner than the drinking water in say Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where I lived for a period of time, because there's not factory farming going on here. Um, and that can, that, the, the chemicals and, and, and the waste uh, that are used in, in that sort of farming leach into the soil and get into the drinking water. But this is not something I made up. Again, it's not fringe talk. It's, this is, it's just fact. They do reports on the quality of water. In fact, the quality of water, even in the U.S., where we're you know, a wealthy nation, etc., the quality of water in a lot of places is not as good as we uh, would like. Uh, and some of it has to do with this. That's not the only reason. There's also infrastructure stuff, so that, that's that's different, okay? Um, uh, high fructose corn syrup, for instance, uh, and non-GMO and all these sorts of things are things that people asked for. People asked for, I don't want, you know, for non-GMO food, for no high fructose corn syrup that is a useless filler in their food. Uh, they asked for organic and free-range food, <clears throat> And, and these were fringe ideas until very recently. Profit motivation in these areas, uh, and the same is happening with being, quote-unquote, green, drove companies to respond. Even fast food's trying to be healthy, you know? As more people realize that our damages to the earth are also self-inflicted and therefore are a worldwide health concern, they're going to begin to insist more loudly that we do something different. Uh, as I touched on, businesses very much dislike any government telling them what to do, and I get it, I understand, and I don't disagree. Um, so it will be, behoove them, therefore, to begin the process of change of their own accord. I did read a thing, uh, I mentioned Bill Gates already, I'll mention him again. Um, I read an article with him and uh, a guy, I can't remember his name, Stephen, Stephen Pinker, I think, author of... Uh, Angels of Our Better Nature, something along those lines. Anyway, the two of them were talking uh, in, a, in, a, in an interview or discussion, and uh, they agreed that uh, major corporations now, if they don't, if they don't at least act like they care about uh, resources and how they're being used or misused, uh, then people don't want to have anything to do with them. And then you look at um, our biggest car manufacturers all making huge moves in that direction. It was, it was it General Motors that just recently announced that they're going to be moving toward electric. Um, so, and that poses new problems that they're already talking about. So rather than going into a blinding and going, let's just go mine all the lithium, they're already talking about, well, how can we do this without, you know, putting ourselves in a, in a, a, a bad situation all over again. So it's a touchy subject, but at Davos, where the most powerful people on the planet gather to talk about the future of the world, for the last two years, they've talked about two things above and beyond all else, artificial intelligence and climate change, and how they are going to change the world. And how can we make them not change it for the worse? How can we respond rather than react? How can we respond to each other rather than react emotionally uh, and, and make things work for everybody involved, all right? We are all on this rock together, so you know, don't get me started. I'm too late, all right.
another thing, education will take on new meaning. Again, just as a reminder, um, if you took a longer break, uh, all this is stuff from my uh, article that I uh, wrote for LinkedIn on New Year's Eve of 2018. Uh, they asked myself and, you know, like I said, probably a thousand other writers uh, for their predictions for the, for the year of 2019. So I'm touching back on those and, and reflecting on them, um, adding to them, talking about them as, as I do. Um, so it's, and it was called, uh, What Am I, Nostradamus? That's the title of this episode. All right. Uh, Nostradamus, if you don't know who that was, was a, uh, a guy way back a long time ago that uh, they uh, that, that was uh, a uh, he, he, he like a, a prophet, some say. So he, he lived uh, from 1503 to 1566. Um, and he was a French astrologer, physician and reputed seer. I'm reading this from uh, Wikipedia, by the way. Wikipedia is a really cool example of how humans want to work together and solve problems. It's entirely free and it's all volunteer. And it beat out Microsoft's attempt at making the most in-depth encyclopedia on the planet and cart, uh, which failed. Okay. So Wikipedia, the Wikipedia effect is a pretty cool thing. So um, anyway, so that's why I mentioned Nostradamus. So uh, there, all kinds of people that that uh, look at things in the world and believe that Nostradamus predicted them. So when I say, what am I, Nostradamus? It's sort of like, well, you're asking me to predict the future. What am I, Nostradamus? So that's just the Chicagoism there happening. Uh, anyway, next thing, though, uh, in my attempt at nostradamus for LinkedIn, making up words now. Uh, education will take on a new meaning. Meaning Now, this isn't of my own accord that I came up with this either. Most of the stuff that I come up with is stuff that I have synthesized from things that I'm reading. I'm watching what's going on. I'm observing. And I synthesize them uh, or let them germinate or whatever sort of phrasing you want or words you want to use, okay, to come up with something that, that uh, uh, makes sense and that can be easily communicated. One problem with studies, for instance, they're very wordy and they're often in, in science or, or legalese, uh, in, you know, languages, legal languages, and therefore hard to, to read and a little dry. So one thing I've always enjoyed being able to do is going and taking that stuff and uh, making it something you can, you know, talk about in a bar, you know. So um, education will take on a new meaning. Uh, so... Uh, the word educate doesn't mean to cram full of, but to lead out, open up, and draw outwards. Okay. So I've always, I, I know this because I've been an educator for, you know, most of my adult life. Okay. Uh, and I, I looked at what that meant. I did not enjoy school when I was a kid. And so when I became a teacher, which I kind of thinks surprised me <laughs> that I would do such a thing. Uh, I looked at how to be the kind of teacher I would have liked to, ha to have. In fact, the kind of teacher that I did have a few of. Uh, somebody who will draw out a person's gifts and and help them embrace them and, and keep them curious and searching and seeking, et cetera. All right. Um, so, and again, another reason why I have this podcast. I'm trying to encourage that tendency in people in general. All right. So... Uh, the author Yuval Noah Harari, who wrote the book Sapiens, which I highly recommend, 
He also wrote Homo Deus, which I did not read. I did read 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. A whole lot of stuff that I'm talking about you will find in there, as well as other books that I may mention. Um, anyway, he put it a nice way. Uh, I don't know if he came up with it of his own accord or if it was a result of stuff that he had read and, and assimilated as well. But here's what it is. Communication, creativity, collaboration, and critical thinking will be the most necessary form of forms of education. Um, so again, communication, creativity, collaboration, and critical thinking. They call them the, the four C's. Okay, these are things that uh, the youth today need to be really, really good at because these are the things that will allow them to, well, communicate with people in a sh ever shrinking world. Create, that's the communication part, the creativity aspect of it. Uh, well, that's part of being adaptable. If you are creative, you are adaptable, all right? Collaboration, because you're gonna have to work with all kinds of people. And critical thinking, because you're gonna have to question a lot. You know, there's a lot of questioning going on, I'm pretty sure, in the world right now. Um, and there was one prediction about the economy here. We'll see more leveling of the economy. Well, that's no surprise. Every 18 months or so uh, throughout our nation's modern history, we've seen the economy fluctuate up or down. Um, we have a boom followed by a recession or vice versa, depending on how empty or full your glass. All right. Um, so so um, I studied economics for a minute, and I'm the son of an economist. Um, you know, there's the, a basic rule. If you the stock market goes uh, up, bonds go down. Bonds goes uh, stock market goes down, bonds go up. So you prepare yourself and be sensible with your money. Uh, whatever you're doing, be sensible with your money, please. I'm a musician, and I've been notoriously bad with money on a number of occasions, as as artists are apt to do. Uh, it's strange how I can understand economics and understand money and then become careless, but that has, I think, little to do with money and more to do with uh, self-worth, that I did not deserve the money for whatever reason I felt at a deeper level. Once I changed that kind of thinking, and that kind of feeling, really, if you want to get to the deeper causal thing, you know, uh, it became uh, it became easier for me to come by money and to handle it wisely. Um, I'm very much of the feeling that after a certain amount of income, um, I, I'm not sure I need a whole lot more in the way of stuff. Um, and I like to be able to take the money that I make and think toward the future. What can I do with this to, to expand on what I'm doing? Here's another reason why I have something like this podcast going on. Um, I make my living. I want to do more than make a living. So I make my living, and how do I do more than make than than just make a living? I introduce a podcast where we can have these dialogues. Um, I take my record label that has produced strictly me for 25 years, and once I figured out a way, that way being through Patreon, to fund the record label without taking money from artists, which is the problem with the record industry. Okay, once I figured that uh, that I figured that idea out. I've been able to bring on other artists to my record label. People go, how are you going to make profit? And I say what I just said. I make a living. I'm trying to do something bigger. So it goes back to the feeling of having purpose. I don't know, to be totally honest, whether having a purpose matters. I don't know, 
to be totally honest, whether there's any reason for us to be here or why we're here, certainly I don't know. But everything we do is to a degree a fiction. Everything that we create is to a degree a fiction. These are things that we make up to give ourselves a sense of, well, I am a little bit something more than a primate because I have stuff hanging on my walls, because I have a microphone in front of me right now and one computer with notes and one computer in which I'm recording this podcast, uh, because I have instruments and I can pick up a, a box of wood with strings attached to it and create music out of thin air. I must have a purpose. There must be a reason for it all. So because we have this, this level of, of, of cognition, so to speak, um, because we're, we, you know, in our cognitive revolution that, that happened where, where human beings developed a level of communication that went beyond there's a lion and went to uh, there's a lion, but he looks like he's busy eating a gazelle. So maybe we can sneak around him, you know, because, uh, you know, a gazelle can say there's a lion, you know, other animals can alert each other. We have this higher level of cognitive ability uh, and they call it the cognitive revolution developed that level of communication. They saw huge shifts in uh, primitive human history at that point. So because of that, we appear to have the need to find purpose. So because of that, we appear to uh, have the need to decide whether you are me, one of us, or one of them. That's where it gets a little ridiculous. The us or them thing. The miracle of the arts to me is that here I am walking around in this vessel, this body, human body, observing the world through my eyes in a way nobody else on the entire planet can fathom because nobody can read my mind. And then I can just out of thin air decide to write a song about it. And somehow and any given day, and oftentimes every day, somebody will listen to that song or another one and go, yeah, he gets me. That's where it becomes a powerfully spiritual thing. I pause before I say spiritual because I don't like to talk religion and I don't mean religion, I mean spirit. Okay. Um, but it, there, there's that, that profound connection that we have as human beings that we experience often through the arts and especially music. Joseph Campbell said, music is the highest art form. I'm going to go with it. I kind of agree. Uh, you don't have to. And if you don't go ahead and tell me, and I will say, congratulations, you have an opinion too. It isn't about whether or not we agree. It's about that we do have our opinions, and it, it is all it is uh, about in spite of differences, we get along. I had a friend of mine say uh, not too long ago, talking about some disagreement they had with somebody else, uh, and I was asked for advice on it, and 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 my friend said, "So you so you think we should forget our differences?" And I said, "No, that's an absurdity." We can't forget differences. What we need to do is embrace the differences. We need to accept that we have the differences, but we also need to accept that we have one thing tremendously and deeply 
in common, and that is we're all on this same rock floating around the same sun, and we can't go anywhere else, at least not yet, at least, you know, not too far anyway. And we're going to need to figure out a way to embrace these differences. We don't even really need to respect them. We just need to accept them. And then, well, my general viewpoint in life is, uh, <clears throat> you know, do good with your life and don't be a jagoff. <laughs> so don't go intentionally hurting other people. If you do hurt somebody else, apologize and understand why. And if you need to make restitution, please do. Um, and at the same time, try not to be too hypersensitive. Um, because most of the time, I don't think people intend to hurt other people. I'll get you is not something I've heard out of a lot of mouths in my lifetime. And it's not something that has come out of my mouth uh, in my recollection, maybe more than a couple of times. Well, I'll get you. I'll show you something. Uh, yeah, there's no, there's no good reason for it. There's no, vengeance is uh, you know just unnecessary. Uh, so there be my opinions. There be my uh, uh, the predictions I made at the you know for the for the year of 2019, and uh, let's see where it goes. Um, it's it's. Ultimately, for me, it's very fascinating to, to watch the world unfold. Um, in some ways, it's, it seems like a dystopia. In other ways, it's like a science fiction movie. Um, in other ways, it's, uh, uh, there are aspects of it that can be almost utopian. Um, how do we respond to it? Not how do we react? How do we respond? Um, let's keep it moving forward. And once again, I will remind you, please feel free to send me messages. On Anchor, you can send a, a voice message that I will get, and I, and I do respond to every message that comes to me. Uh, you can also go to my website, philcirclemusic.com. You can find me on Instagram, at philcirclemusic. On YouTube and Pinterest, I have videos. On Facebook, uh, all of those three are Phil Circle. So YouTube.com slash Phil Circle, Pinterest.com slash Phil Circle. Um, and uh, um, Facebook.com slash Phil Circle. And on LinkedIn, it's LinkedIn.com slash in slash Phil Circle. <laughs> but pretty much just punch my name in anywhere and you'll find me. And... Uh, if, 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 if you find a platform and you see that I've been active on it recently, you can rest assured that if you message me there, uh, I will get the message and I will get back to you. Hey, I really appreciate you listening. If you've come this far with me, uh, hopefully we can keep, we can go farther. Um, and I, I, uh, appreciate your time and I appreciate, uh, your opinions. And as I always say at the end of it all, peace.